Good morning. If you would please turn open to Colossians chapter 3. Again, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, this continuing our series in one another, but this will also, uh, this one another will be very appropriate and applicable to the dads in our midst, and, but also everybody will be able to, to join in. Hopefully you got your torpedo level, that's what that's called when you came in. If you don't know what it was called, just use it to hang pictures, that will be helpful for you. So, uh, see, you've already shared it with your sons, dads, very good, very good. So Obed just walking or running, rather. He had it in his hand like a sword. Awesome. If I had thought betterly, I would have had all those sitting in a, in a toolbox to take. But typical guy, I thought of that after they were all set out. That's what happens. <laughs> all right, this morning we're going to be talking about admonishing one another. And Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17 will guide our journey in the, the Word of God this morning. God's Word said, let, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, we come to you, submitted to your word, asking that you would please make it alive in our hearts to where it bears fruit, uh, fruit in keeping with our faith in you and our trust in you, but also to train the next generation to love you more than we do. So be upon our time, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. There are probably some phrases that you remember from your dad growing up that just are indelibly placed in your mind. Uh, maybe the, the, the more familiar, no, we're not there yet. That could be one that is there. Uh, this is a popular one. Don't ask me, ask your mother. Guilty as charged there. Eat it. It'll grow hair on your chest. My grandfather told me that one time, and I said, I don't want hair on my chest. I don't want to eat that. Uh, you didn't beat me. I let you win. Now, I don't take it easy on my children ever. When we're playing a game, I win. I'm all out. I'm going to win. And I'm going to teach you humility right now and how to be a gracious loser when, you, when I beat you. Seriously. They know, they know I'm speaking the truth. Now, have you ever heard your dad say, don't tell your mother? You think I'm made of money? Don't make me stop the car. And when I was your age, we have these. <laughs> we have these. Some, some of what our fathers told us, they're still with us. Uh, but here's, here's my question for us as dads, is what will our kids remember of us? Maybe what phrases do they already, this would be a fun exercise today, ask your kids what you say the most. What, what's the phrases that you remember me saying all the time that I say? Uh, but what we want to investigate more in our hearts is what what will, ex what will be the example that they will remember of us? You know, fathers have a very unique role due to the fact that we share a title with God himself. 
you know, we don't, we don't have fathers in the earthly lives and attribute that to our relationship with God or the persona of God. God revealed himself as father, and we share that title. And we are to steward that title very well. So our children will see God more than they see us. Our role is to transfer their affections, the affections that they have for daddy when they're young and they, they grow older and in teenage years they don't know what to do about their affection for daddy. We want to be able to transfer those affections for the Lord. So today, dads and everybody else, to listen, there's going to be some things you can glean as we seek to, to admonish dads today. We as fathers, we want to be reminded of our glorious and weighty commission to train our children in the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> the first thing that we see from Paul's letter to the Colossian church is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The foundation of the word supersedes everything we do in our lives. Anything we do as fathers, anything we do as Christians, the word of God has to be the foundation. If it's not the foundation, Jesus says what? It's shifting sand. If we don't have the rock, we're not building on the rock, we're shifting around. So whether it's shifting with the culture, we live in a culture that's shifting constantly and they can't figure out what's right and wrong anymore. But when we have our foundation on the rock of Christ, we have a bedrock that we know is true, it's lasting, and will produce life in those that we leave it to. So what we have to understand first, if we want a foundation of the word of God, is that God is serious about his words. I, I can, on occasion, get pretty irritated when my children don't remember what I said and have to repeat myself. And I am sinful in my response to them. But this is what I remember. How many times has God had to repeat himself to me when I have not taken his word the first time he said it? But yet, he says it with patience all the time. Kindness, remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But we, we need to recognize how do we interact with the word of God? Do we, give, do we give the word of God access into our lives? Do we give it the weight that it deserves, the glory that it deserves in our lives? J.I. Packer, in his book, Taking God Seriously, which is a really, really helpful book. He said the Bible is to be approached with reverence, handled with care and prayer and studied not to satisfy curiosity in any of its forms but to deepen responsive fellowship with god who made us loves us seeks us out and offers us pardon peace and power for righteousness through jesus christ our lord we take the bible seriously as the authoritative self-revealing word of our authoritative god that's powerful words there. Look, we, we handle, we approach the Bible with reverence to deepen our response of fellowship with God who is our creator. And he is, the Bible is seriously authoritative. Now, difference between, dads, this will help you in your fatherhood as well. The difference between authoritative and authoritarian. Authoritarian is a dictator, a tyrant. You will do exactly what I want you to do, the way I want you to do it, and I give zero room for error. God is not authoritarian. The Word of God is not authoritarian. The Word of God is authoritative, and God is authoritative, meaning this. 
He welcomes our submission to Him by, by being so glorious. And when we see that glory, we want to bring ourselves under His rule. The authoritative invites our submission. Authoritarian demands our submission. As fathers, we are not to demand submission. We are to lead in a way that, that engenders our wives, our children, coming, willingly, voluntarily coming under our leadership the way God designed. That's the Bible for us, and we are to take it very seriously. And Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, let the peace of Christ, uh, wrong verse, there we are, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly shows value. And the value we ascribe to life is revealed by what we worship. You know, what we, we sing about, we sing about what we love, even though we don't carry it in a tune. Understand that as, as human beings, we worship, and we find something to worship, and we will attribute, we will ascribe glory to what we worship. And that's why Paul, when he's saying, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it doesn't mean we come to one another, and in our admonishment, we don't have to sing our correction to one another. Dads don't sing their correction to their kids. That's weird. He's saying, as you go about life, but listen, as you glory in something in life, make sure you're passing on the right thing. Make sure what's rich to you is not your success. Make sure what's rich to you is not your stuff. Make sure what's rich to you, the value that you place on all eternity is God and his word. The word is to be that richness to us and in us. So, here, dads, know the word of God. Know it. Read it. Come under the weight of the word of God and study the word of God in order to be the example and set the example and pass on that example to your children. And then we have admonishing one another. And what this, uh, this concept is, is the wisdom level. That's why the little cuteness of the little torpedo level to today. We... We bring the word of God upon situations and upon our hearts to level us out. When things are off, they're tilted, we're not on the right plane, the, the word of God brings us there. So the word of God is that level, that wisdom level. And that is to be done with intentionality. We, we apply the level which, with intentionality, meaning that teaching requires a game plan, giving understanding to the Word of God as you go about life and connecting it to the wisdom of God. Our task as dads, our, our task as believers in a lost and dying world with a, a culture shifting constantly is to be able to recognize where that shift is taking place, but better yet, understand how the Word of God speaks to that shift. We feel it in our hearts. Our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts shift we don't know what to make of our affections, and it's in those moments we apply the level of the Word of God to get our hearts back on track so our affections are spent on God. It's done with intentionality. We, we see the world, we see the culture, we see the Word of God, but we also in wisdom know how to put them together and know how the Word of God speaks to that. Our children need to learn how to understand the culture, but how to apply the Word of God to that culture and to their hearts so we're in line. Remember, if, if, if we're one degree off, you live life long enough, you're going to be off the mark, right? 
We need to be applying this level, level intentionally. And remember uh, that the fear of, remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the context of Proverbs and Solomon opening up the book of Proverbs, what does he say? Pay attention, my son. Wisdom is, is in the context of that father-son, father-child relationship. But there's also warning that comes with that wisdom level. We are to be aware enough of our children's temperament and personality and the onslaught of the natural and, and worldly life that we are able to warn our children of coming disaster. As believers, we are to warn ourselves of coming disaster. That doesn't mean we, we warn of a judgment that's coming that we would do for unbelievers. In wisdom and care and patience, we say, no, if you... If you keep on this course, the affections of your heart will wander and there's no guarantee that they'll come back. See, we live life thinking that, you know, if, if we just do what we're supposed to do, God will just eventually bring us back. We have no guarantee of that. That's all of our hopes. Like when our hearts start to wander and we, we feel it and we don't want to read the Word, we don't want to be in the presence of God. We'd rather pursue natural components of life. We'd rather pursue what's comfortable and what we can control and what gives us security. We pursue those things outside the boundaries of what God says, this is how you will be blessed. And when we pursue those things, there is no guarantee that our affections will be restored to God. We think they're always, I'm just going to go and just kind of venture off a little bit and then I'll come back. A phrase I said all through... uh, my 15 years as a youth pastor, I would tell the, the, the teens all the time, you know, you think you can just go through life and then, and then you'll just kind of, and it's called sowing your wild oats. That phrase has been around a long time. And, and parents sometimes are expecting their kids to go through these phases. That's an unbiblical expectation. Just put that in there. But there's this weirdness of I'll just kind of live life and do what I want to do and have my affections go where they want and just do the kind of things I want to do. And then, you know, college, have some fun, get my experiences under my belt, and then I'll come back to God. There's no guarantee you'll come back to God. There is no guarantee. If anything, there's a warning that says, oh, no, you you will pursue your pleasure to the point that you will harden your heart. You will never come back to these are real warnings. But listen, to admonish is to correct, to warn, to caution, and reprove someone else. This is not easy for us. If it is easy, listen, if you find it easy to correct people, it means you're not, you're not producing the other one another's in your life with them. Okay, because somebody you are kind to and you are, you are accepting and you are loving as Jesus it's going to be difficult to go to them and say, hey, you need a pattern in life that it's, it's, it's quizzical to me. How are you doing in this area? We have to think about it. We have to work at it. It's, it's tough for all of us, and we need to be aware of going astray. In Scripture, we have warning that false teachers come in. We have warning that we will... We will fly off to the pleasures of this present world rather than living for the eternal. There are warnings all over the place. There's warnings that say, hey, make sure you don't go by that cliff because when you do, you will fall off. So we are to be this to one another within the body of Christ, especially in our families and our role as fathers. 
We need the leveling of the Word of God. We need others in our lives who will apply that level so we come plumb with God's will. So let's hear some just guiding principles for confronting sin in one another. We first confront sin in ourselves. Remember when Jesus said, uh, before you take the, the speck out of somebody else's eye, take the log out of your own eye? Remember, you have to understand both of those are wood. And so typically, we see sin in others that we're guilty of. So when we recognize that in somebody else, don't get all haughty like, I mean, I just can't believe that they... No, we first say, oh, I'm seeing it, so am I guilty of that? We, we look in ourselves to, to take ourselves to task because that, when we confront ourselves, we're able to then, because then Jesus says, then remove the log, then you will see clearly to take the speck. Jesus says, don't just quit. Oh, man, I'm, I'm guilty of the same sin, so that's it. I just got to, you know, whatever. Just God work on you, God work on me. No, he says, no, do the work, the hard work of confronting sin in yourself. Then you'll see clearly. And I think that, cl- that clarity comes with humility and grace when you go to somebody else. There's not a pride that you're bringing. There, I, I've, I'm humbled, and I, I've experienced God's grace, so I'm coming that, to that to you. But I think a helpful uh, component in confronting others in humility with grace is making sure you're seeing a pattern of sin develop. You know, love covers a multitude of sins, meaning this. Somebody just has a bad day, bad moment. We can look over that. You know, not every single thing needs to be addressed. Dads in your homes, moms in your homes. When there are patterns of sin that develop, listen, if we, if we are correcting every single thing in our kids' lives, we will frustrate them. They will want nothing of the faith that we champion. But if we recognize the patterns, that's why we have to know their heart, their temperament, their personality, the patterns. We choose our battles well. Look, in the body of Christ, we don't just go, we're not these, these sin police, like showing up every single moment that, what, hey, 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 uh, there was pride in that. Now, you, you know people well enough because you have these one or others happening. You know people well enough, you begin to see patterns. And when you see that pattern, you're able to say, you know what, notice a couple different times. One time, you can give grace for that. Several times, right, there's a pattern. We need to talk. We need to have, we need to have a, a, a just understanding of what's happening in your heart, in your affections. Also, uh, a principle here. Make it easy for others to confront you. People shouldn't have to pray and fast about what to say when they bring something to your attention. Husbands and wives... That's something, look, we, we're afraid to bring uh, observation in one of those lives because we don't want the response. We don't want the sinful response of, uh, of, of cold shoulders or anger or in irritation. We don't want, we don't want the, the sinful response to bringing up sin. We have to be able to work through this, especially uh, within the body of Christ. We need to make it easy and, and give access to folks in our lives. But all confronting of sin needs to end up at the point where you point to hope in Jesus. We don't confront sin simply to point out sin. We, we point out sin because it's the barrier to our experience of Jesus and experience of seeing his exaltation. So when we come to people, have a strategy to point that person to Jesus. And you know what? This is robbing your experience and fellowship with Jesus himself. It's robbing your experience of resurrection life. Let's repent. Let's keep on going. Come on, let's look at Jesus. All of us need to look at Jesus to be able to see him and know him. Gene Getz, 
uh, also is, has some helpful thoughts in admonishment. He said, admonishment must be based on God's specific will and ways, not on what we think other Christians should or should not be doing. Very helpful phrase. We don't correct what we think people should be doing. We have to know the word of God and bring that level into people's lives. We must be careful at this point. Many Christians tend to confuse absolutes and non-absolutes. If we exhort Christians in areas that are extra-biblical, areas that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture or specific things that involve cultural standards and practices, then we are in danger of imposing standards contrary to Scripture. Know the Scriptures. You have, look, you, everybody walks out convictions uniquely as God, by His Spirit, empowers families to walk those out. My kids have a fun time recalling all the things they were not allowed to watch when they were growing up. And every time they do it, I say, I'm not apologizing to you. It's become a joke. I'm not apologizing to you because your unique hearts couldn't watch that. Somebody else could, but I tell you what, you go ask them a question, they couldn't watch something I allowed you to watch because as parents, as, as gatekeepers to our homes, look, there's the, the, the world's coming Culture's coming. So was able to say, no, that, that affects your heart uniquely in a way that just brings up, stirs up sinfulness. We have to avoid that. But dads, you need to be on the, need to be on the front end. But be, I, I'm not coming to other people going like, look, I didn't let my kids watch this because I, have, I just uniquely saw this and it produced that. I can't then impose that on everybody else. I can't just automatically say, no, you have to do it this way. That would be extra biblical. And contrary to Scripture, what's clear in Scripture, we walk in. But where it's a matter of conviction, we need to be able to offer grace to, be, to, to walk together and hold admonishment and correction for things that are clear, clearly spelled out in Scripture. So there's intentionality, there's warning, but it needs to be with regularity. And this is also where I think Paul brings up the worship component in verse 16. Uh, in all wisdom, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Look, it's, it's as we worship. It's as we're living the Christian life. Worship is a regular practice for the believer. And as we're doing this, it's saying, look, let the word of Christ dwell in you so you're able to admonish one another and bring the level of the word of God to, to, to bear on our hearts and our decisions and our, our wills so they line up with God's. But listen, it's done along the way. It's done with enough depth of relationship that it doesn't, it doesn't always have to feel weird. It's out the outflow, the natural outflow of, of church life, family life. It should be done with regularity just as worship is regular. And it should be Godward in action. Now, we are to bring that level with great patience in care. So just to, uh, some other scriptures to help us understand how this is to be done. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching complete patience this is to guide how we bring wisdom and we do it with all wisdom you know think of wisdom as looking forward smarts as looking backwards you know, you're smart about something because you made a bad decision perhaps and then you learn from it but wisdom is forward looking when when solomon's bringing all the proverbs to his son hey son Pay attention to these things because all of these are ahead of you and you need to make wise decisions. One of my sayings is realized. A smart person learns from his own mistakes 
but a wise person learns from everybody else's mistakes. We don't have to have all the same experiences. We really can be rescued from those by paying attention to those who have the smarts. They got the street smarts because of what they went through and how miserable it was. And so we need to be wise enough to say, hey, I'm just, I'm going to avoid that. I'm not going to go into the same, go into the same pit or, or pitfall because somebody else did. And this is a warning. There's also, this comes, this admonishing also comes with a warning, especially for fathers about admonishing and reproving our children. Think about this. In 1 Kings 1, verse 5 and 6. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he presented for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? And he was also very... He was a very handsome man. He was born next after Absalom. This is King David. King David had never gone to his son Adonijah and said, why are you doing this? Never wanting to displease him. There's a fear in every parent to overcorrect to, to the point that we think our correction is going to turn our children away from the faith. The opposite. We don't want to be overbearing. We don't want to be tyrants authoritarian but we can't be silent because if we're silent about our warnings if we're silent about the 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 path that god wants us to walk out and that he wants us all to operate in his will and experience the blessing of walking in his will if we never do that if we never say i need to cross you right now i need to check your motives i need to i need to bring to attention your wayward affections if we never do that we're guaranteeing they will leave the faith we do it with patience and wisdom. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, that's a blessing that we take, and it is a blessing, but at the same time, that's one of the Proverbs that's equally a curse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the patterns that they're experiencing, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. We need to be actively training with the word of God, with the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. And then Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to teach and train without frustrating our children. And we just need to be aware. We frustrate them. I'm aware of the components that frustrate my children. And as much as I try not to frustrate them, in those areas, I'm still a sinful man uh, and, and need to work on my heart. But here's some categories. This is not exhaustive. This is just, I believe what the Lord wants us to pay attention to as dads, our inconsistencies. When we're inconsistent with the way that we're walking out life and the, the word of God, if, if our kids don't see an alignment there, we're going to frustrate them. Because that's when double standards happen. When we're seeking to correct something in our children that we're guilty of, but we won't repent of. And it ends up with confusing words. Unable to distinguish between natural and spiritual wisdom. They don't know what's coming from you, from the word of God. They have no idea. And then I think we frustrate them when we mistreat them when sin occurs. And I mean it by this. 
when we come down and clamp down even when they're repentant. See, when our children come to us and they repent and they say, I did this, we need to be careful not to come down too harshly. Now, when sin is found out and there's, uh, there's a defensiveness and there's a covering for sin, we deal appropriately in that way. If there's a denial of sin, no, you need to pray about this and you need to confess or it will not go, with, go well with you. But when our children come to us and they say, look, this is what happened, and I feel awful, we, we're tender with them in that moment. Like our, there may be consequences. There may be, hey, we have to apply wisdom right now. We have to apply wisdom, whether it's with uh, whatever category that your children experience that, whether it's uh, media stuff or there may be consequences, but understand those consequences are a result of we need to protect your heart. They're not, we don't, we don't come down harshly on them when there's repentance because we will frustrate them and they will look at God and say, I can't, I don't know when to experience your love because I, I have a difficult time feeling it when I sin. I have a difficult, difficult time feeling it when I repent, but we have to help them understand God's love. And also when there's a lack of integrity, we frustrate them, but we're not the same person at church and at home. We frustrate them. So there's a hard work to fatherhood, and it's to do all for the glory of God. And I say hard work, gentlemen, because our biggest temptation, and it started when Eve, uh, Adam and Eve fell, our greatest temptation is laziness. It's with sweat that we got to work. We don't want to sweat. We don't want to work hard. We want it to come easily. So here's the hard work of fatherhood. Be men of integrity. Be somebody that your children can look to and say, my father is genuine. My father is, he, he is, there's no guile in him. There's no deception. He is who he, he portrays. He's the same person when nobody's looking as when everybody's looking. Do the hard work uh, in your speech. In word and deed, do all to the glory of God. Do the hard work in your speech. If you still curse, repent to them. Repent to the Lord and stop. Don't blame it on irritation and anger. Own it. But also a speech that if you have given more natural wisdom than spiritual wisdom because you don't know the word of God, you don't even know if the wisdom you're given is from the word of God, repent and be men of the word. So your speech has life attached to it, not death, life attached to it. In your affirmation, work hard at affirming your children. And do the glory of God in the hard work of fatherhood by working hard. We work hard. And we also set an example in submission. Submission is not just for wives and children. Submission is for the entire body of Christ. As the church, Ephesians 5, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. That means this. As you see submission in your husband, you are led into submitting to him. That's the authoritative. We submit. We have people in our lives that can tell us, hey, you need to think hard about that and not do it. And we listen. We've given enough access and submitted enough in one another as we're walking together as men that we say, no, if you tell me no or you tell me don't do that, I'm really going to take it seriously. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. And when they were obedient to the will of God, 
We're men who obey. We do the hard work of obeying, and the, the, obey, the obedience that we want from our children, we are setting the example because they see us obeying God. They see us toil and work hard in prayer. They see us in the Word. They know we have the Word in us. And the life that we're living is in obedience to Him. And the blessing that we receive in life is because of our obedience to the will of God. What does that mean for us? We need to look toward maturity. As a church, as fathers over families, we need to be mature in Christ. Earlier in Colossians, Paul said this, we, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. See, he repeats his words. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There's hard work. But listen, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's our goal as a church. Dads, that's your goal in your houses that we would present the love, the nurturing and cherishing that we have toward our spouse, the nurturing and caring and love that we express in leadership, the servant leadership we express to our kids, one day presents them mature in Christ. But on this earth, that maturity can be seen and felt and fruitful. That's our goal. Jesus is our goal. His preeminence is is our goal. So as we look to him and his exaltation, we will, if we're sold out for Jesus, gentlemen, our wives and children will follow. Period. Because they will see that there's no, there's no duplicity in our hearts, in our affections. That we are really gods. And we want them to follow us, and they will follow us. So Lord, we, we ask, uh, first we thank you for the example of your fatherhood in our lives. You are a wonderful, loving, tender, exhorting Father. I pray, Lord, that every man in here would know your fatherhood in ways that would, it would provide the necessary example for what we strive for in everyday life. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us through your Spirit and our desire to love Jesus above everything, that we would, you would use us to present our families mature in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, as we are seeking your exaltation on the throne of our hearts, each one of our hearts, we would in love and care and humility, grace, confront sin in one another so Jesus can be exalted. So we can look more and more like him in everything we say, everything we do, that you would delight in a church, your children that are mature in Christ. So Lord, I pray for our dads here. I pray for wisdom. I pray for power. I pray for supernatural anointing that your spirit provides. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would hover over each and every father. And we would long to see the fruit that you will bring about in our families. Empower them, Lord, as they look to you.